I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, welcome to Going Off Track. Hi. Hi. Oh. How hi. are you guys? Good. Steven. You good? Steven. Uh, it's Electro Steven. It's Electro Steven. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. What? What's new with you, Steven? What Let's are you into? See. Oh, this is what's new with me is uh, in our wonderful podcast world, Six Degrees of Going Off Track, our dear, dear friend Jenny Owen Youngs has a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast and... It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and she and her wife, Kristen, uh, talk about each episode, and Jenny kindly remembered that I was on a couple of episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer 20 years ago, to the point of, I just got a, I don't want to brag, but I just got a residual for like $6. Nice. I mean, it's hard. It's hard out here for a pimp. But so were you, uh, were you a guest on her podcast? I was a guest on her podcast. You can check it out. It was one of the more recent episodes, and we talk all things Buffy. And she, again, just proves why she is one of the kindest, most awesome people ever. She's great. Love her. She Yeah, I saw they got a write-up in, like, People or some, like, crazy yeah. magazine about the podcast. Yeah, because oh, cool. it's like, I like, I like these... I like how the the podcast community and world is just reinforcing the long tail, which is that you can just your audience is there. Like we're going to go through every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and talk about how great it is. And I like <laughs> it when our friends start podcasts and then they come we, they come on our podcast, we go on their podcast. Yeah, you don't like that? You're a prick. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's um, it's very podcestual. Yes, it is. <laughs> You like that one, Brad? Nice one. <laughs> uh, today, Brad, do you have this thing? Whenever you hear a good pun, you can't just appreciate the pun. You immediately think of Jonah Bear. <laughs> yes, I do, actually. That is, that's true. I'm not even exaggerating. I've been thinking about this recently. Um, I don't like it when people call puns, quote, unquote, dad jokes. Because <laughs> to me, it's like, I don't know. Like, it's like they're clever word things. It's not just like associated with i mean i know you guys are both dads so is that is that a, offensive to you i think it's our dads that they're talking about you're talking about guys or because my dad my dad made a lot of jokes but i wouldn't say my dad like really made puns it's a dad's job to sort of make jokes that he knows are going to annoy everybody in the family and possibly embarrass okay his teenage well, daughter well then on that level i think it's accurate <laughs> and i get that okay 
I think the thing is, is that puns have have a rich history of, 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 of it. They went from highbrow humor to lowbrow to now kind of low high kind of thingy. And dad jokes is kind of that just means not cool because once you have kids and you become a dad, like cool is out the window, yeah. right? <laughs> like your kids will yeah. never think you're cool. Well, I don't ever, no matter how cool you may be or other people think you are, you are never cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after they're five. Yeah. Oh God. Or like, I don't understand when people say people have dad bods. Whoa. I don't understand what that mm. means. Like, I don't understand all this dad, like, centric, <laughs> like, slang now. <laughs> I'm not privy to it, perhaps, because I'm surrounded by dad bods. Yeah. I have a dad bod. I think dad bod just made, like, I think it just means, you know, uh, well, your nipples used to be higher up, and now they're just a little lower. Gotcha. <laughs> I was looking at the pictures of us recording, you know in the studio and i'm like i don't look like i'm holding that guitar as cool as i used to <laughs> i like holding my guitar honestly i like it's hold- still low i don't i didn't jack it up or anything i I, <laughs> I feel like every year that goes by i like my guitar gets a little higher because <laughs> it's like and then this is like the most i got this great new guitar from this company reverend um guitars they hooked me up but yeah i basically wanted it because i was like I need a lighter guitar because of all my injuries. <laughs> like, it's such an old guy thing where I'm like, Les Pauls are too heavy. They are. Well, Les Pauls will definitely, at any age, will damage you. Yeah. I, you know, I always like the sound, but I mean, my guitar all through the goops was that spirit, which is like, it's like an, it's like a junior. Yeah. It's like a humbucker, Les Paul style body, but uh, it's a light and double cutaway. And I, for that reason, dude, it's just you couldn't play it live. I couldn't play Les Pauls live. I did for years, and I think that's why my posture is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> You're hurting yourself. You're not that big anyway. I know. I know. Um, I, I don't play guitar at all, but I remember the first time I, I picked up like an SG. SG's I was like, why the hell doesn't everybody just play this? Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> SGs are so light that like if depending on how they're made, that the I, I, I picked up an SG one time. That was so light that the the headstock and the neck were actually. I think the neck was probably um, what is it? We make necks out of rosewood, but then mahogany maybe, like which was a really heavy wood. And the the guitar like pivoted, and the headstock hit me in the temple. <laughs> that's because the body was like so light. That's what I feel like they're off balance. I, that's why I can't play SGs. Yeah, they are. They're off balance. Yeah, they feel weird. That's taking it to the extreme. Um, speaking of taking it to extreme, <laughs> yes. today's guest on the podcast. I'm so so was so excited to get this guy on. We've been trying, we've been emailing for years. Uh, I think maybe the first person f- aside from my parents from Cleveland and, and Vanessa, aside from someone I'm related to, the first person from Cleveland on the podcast. Nice. Um, and we didn't know each other when we lived in Cleveland because Charlie's like a generation older than me, but uh. Charlie Gariga, he was in Outface, the Cleveland hardcore band, then moved to New York and ended up working for Quicksand, ended up starting a band called Civ with members of Gorilla Biscuits, and is currently, when Judge got back together, ended up as a guitar player in Judge. So pretty much like as like a Cleveland person, that's like the hardcore <laughs> dream. You move to New York, you, you start Civ, and then you join Judge. And now uh, after apprenticing with quicksand, after apprenticing with quicksand, like, yeah, dude, like what the fuck? And now Charlie, uh, is like co-owner works, um, of a bar and, uh, and Brad actually knew him when he used to work security. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew Charlie from further back, but 
it's funny because I used to always see him when I lived in Chelsea walking home because he worked at this fancy pants club. And it was cool because I'd just stop and bullshit with him and watch, like, you know, the heels walk in. And it was just it's a hilarious setting. And he definitely he definitely um, appreciated the humor behind it. Because it was just one of those, like, bridge and tunnel clubs full of fucking... Yeah. Uh, those people. And Char- <laughs> Yeah, so we had so much to talk about in this podcast, including the time that Charlie... Took the subway to Madison Square Garden to open for Kiss. <laughs> one of my favorite. Did you remember those shows? No. He said that D-Generation did one. Yeah. Like Civ did one. I remember the D-Gen. I didn't remember Civ did one. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't on this podcast because I didn't know about it and I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. But you can listen to it now along with Brad, Charlie Griega, and Going Off Track. <laughs> He got caught with his one hitter coming in the front door. Right. This is my my cousin's like sixty years old, too. right? And got caught with his one hitter coming in <laughs> so to Radio happens? City. Are they just like you they get... confiscated it, yeah, but they still let him come in, no problem. But he asked me after the show, he's like, "Do you can think you, get you can like get it for me?" I'm like, "Bro, no, like, your one hitter's <laughs> done. Like, right, there's I'm one hit in there. I'm like, yeah, you gotta Unless let the it. actual device is what he really <laughs> like. You gotta let it Treasure. go. You gotta let it go." He's very bold with his weed smoking. Like when he travels on airplanes, he just fills an Altoids box with like pre-rolled J's and puts it in his checked bag. And it's just like, cool, whatever. And never gets caught. Yeah. It's crazy. And I swear, like the one time I had like weed residue in a bag, I had like bloodhounds yeah, and, yeah. Like, and, and Homeland Security and just everyone <laughs> on my ass. So I don't, I can't get away with it, but I'm a terrible liar. That's why I like, I've succumbed to the fact that if somebody is actually trained in facial recognition or things like that, where they can spot someone being sketch, like, dude, I have to be, I'm like a light bulb. (laughs) Like I, like I must just give myself away a thousand times over because I'm just bad at being sketch. Right. Yeah. Charlie, how do you pronounce your last name? They should put the mic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we talking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been oh, we're doing it. Oh, yeah, we're happy. Actually, you should, you should do it. Hey, dude. Hot mic. Hot mic. Hey, yeah, we like to just get cruising. Yeah. No, like, hey. Yeah, so today we have... Schmer. We're going to bring him in. <laughs> bring him in. This is Charlie. <laughs> he represents the middle school. <laughs> oh, what was the question again? Uh, la- gar- oh, Gariga. Gariga. Come on. Don't I look Spanish, man? <laughs> Totally. Like a giant leprechaun. <laughs> um, and I was so, I can't remember if it was Walter or Sammy or someone was like, you know, Charlie's from Cleveland. And I had no idea. I think I it was associ- Sammy, yeah. I think it was Sammy. I associate you obviously with Civ and with Judge and New York Hardcore so right. much. Um, but you grew up your whole childhood and stuff yeah. in Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. Basically grew up like in the Coventry area, Cleveland Heights. Okay. And, um, and you know, Jonah is... Through and through Clevo. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I was a degenerate, like, 15, 16, hanging out. Where did you go to high school? I went to Orange High School. Oh, okay. Cool. So I grew up in, like, Moreland Hills, right. um, Chagrin area. But, yeah, every weekend, when the grog shop was on the other side right. of Coventry. On the corner. On the corner. Huh? Yeah, I would just sit out there with my, like, friends, listen to, like, Bad Religion, like, smoking cigarettes outside Arabica. Uh-huh. Like, that was, like, what, that's, like, where... And did you go to shows at Peabody's, too, or...? Yeah, I went to shows, yeah, Peabody's Down Under, mm-hmm. and when there was that weird Peabody's Cafe, 
that's melt now. Do you remember that place? Yeah, like it was like on Cedar Road. Yeah, on Cedar yeah, Road, yeah, and yeah. you would go down those yeah. stairs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But wow. yeah. Yeah, Peabody's down. That was more like a bar. That was more like, like a bar. I saw like reggae bands play. I was but reading I, about Peabody's. Was that like the CBGB's kind of? A Cleveland? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. it? Because yeah. yes. I think yeah. I Peabody's caught, definitely was. I did see a show there that was Integ- Integrity headlined Warzone played first to five. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and that was probably, yeah, like late 90s. Were uh, the type of people who like were Peabody, doing the shows at Peabody's? Yeah, Peabody's was like, I mean, for me, that was the place. There was a place called Cleveland Public Theater that was around before that, and that was okay. more of like what a years punk. Was this about this is like eighties, like mid eighties. Okay, um, I remember seeing like Black Flag, Circle Jerks, but Peabody's was like the spot. Like I saw Jane's Addiction played two nights. It was right when uh, Nothing Shocking was coming out. Played two nights in a row. I was like, "There's this new band, you know, and from this California." Is a small venue. Yeah, this is right. like. What five packed out at yeah. six hundred people maybe? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jane's addiction. I'm like, oh yeah, I heard. You know, I heard the first record. And like, I don't even know if nothing shocking was out. They played two nights for five dollars a night. Are you wow. serious? Perry Farrell had a cast on, huh. and it was one of the coolest things. I mean, to me, that was like, all right. Did you know th- who this like is cool. the owners and promoters of that place? Yeah, were? there was there was one main guy. Um, who you either loved him or you hate him, whether or not he got you like on a bill or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. guy, this guy, Larry Collins. And there was definitely like, you know, I, I started to realize that there's politics and who gets to play with, you know, who else. But um, I mean, I saw, I saw Chili Peppers there on the Uplift Mofo Party Plan album. I saw Pantera there. Uh-huh. Um, I think I saw Pantera there more than once. I mean, so there was, I mean, I saw everyone from, I saw Arrested Development there, Fishbone. Yeah. I saw, um, yeah. I mean, it was like the concert club. I saw King's X. Wow. Uh, Voivod, and and the thing about Cleveland is I don't know if it was like because you're obviously a little younger than me, but it was just like whoever played like there was just a scene of people, and whoever played like you just went, you know, like right. I, you go to see Celtic Frost, and there was like Mohawks in the pit. Not to mention they had the hardest mosh parts ever, <laughs> so it was like a mix of like you know there was kind of stoner rock dudes, there were guys like with the patches right you know, back then, you know, before it was cool, like of every metal band on there with spikes. And then there were skater kids and like, you know, college kids like in button down shirts. Like it was just like it was the place where like, I don't know, it just seemed I think it was a small enough scene that like everybody went. It wasn't like there was one certain. I saw DFL um, there and they were opening for Sublime. And I was like, it's a school night. I'm just going to go home. I just want to see DFL. Uh, but uh, you know, what's interesting about that because I feel like I started going there like probably. Yeah, I graduated high school in 98. So I probably started was going there like maybe like 96, 95. But I feel like I caught the tail end of the flats being like, you would go down on the weekends and it was like New Orleans. I mean, it was insane. Yeah. It was packed. It was all right on the water downtown yeah. and it was just... People pulling up in boats, dude, just bars. It was Is just, that where the the back photograph of humanity as the devil yes. is from? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. at... That was okay. at. It used to be called Nautica. It's mm-hmm. called something Nautica else stage, now. Yep. Yes. That area. And it was insane. Love that photo. Yeah, all that of fo- them jumping. Well, dude, it's it's like classic. an iconic... Like such a cool thing. Yeah, that was Warp Tour. But then it was. Yeah. That was the first Warp Tour, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um were you at that show? Yeah, we Civ played it. Oh cool. right. Yeah, Civ we did the we did the first ever Warp Tour. We did ninety five, ninety six, and ninety eight. Cause I saw Civ play Warp Tour in like Garfield, somewhere very weird. Like it was like 
Oh, what is that area? Yeah, off of like 71, yes. like under the highway. We did it there once. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> Sib calling everyone up on stage yeah. from the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like Brexville. Not Brexville. It was, what is it? Independence, Ohio it or something. It was so weird. I feel weird. like most of the first couple warp tours. It was like wherever they could put the trucks. They yeah. had no idea where to put something like that. It was that great like for me, though, because it was like kind of near where I lived. I was yeah. like, this is where warp tour is. It was like, no effects was playing and like, yeah, that's Rock how in Jersey it wound up at like English Town Raceway and like yeah. weird shit like we played, that. We played Action Park. You did great. Vernon Valley Great Gorge. We played at, the Warp Tour. Played Action Park. Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. So cool. I uh, loved Action. Park. <laughs> uh, I mean, were you going to the flat? Because I feel like I caught the tail end, and then it became super depressed. Like, because yeah. the Odeon was down there, there were other venues, and then like I think what happened was. People used to get so drunk they would like fall in the river and the clubs oh, would have to close. So it was like what a big bar restaurant thing going yeah, on. Yeah, and then it was it was the it was the but then like, it became a ghost town basically. Yeah, huh? yeah, it was it was the thing. I, I missed the heyday. It was the strip. Like it yeah. was like the Bleecker right, like Street, Beale Street. Yeah, or, like, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like it was that. total Bourbon Street. Like it mm. was just like you went to the flats, and it was funny because I didn't do it because back then I didn't drink or anything, and I was just like, I was like, I don't know, it was it wasn't my scene at right. all. But I remember, like that was as a kid, like you, like you, or we we just go down there and drive through. And my dad always had a boat. We would pull the boat up, get something to eat, and you just see all these people going. Nuts. Yeah, like people got loose there. Yeah, and then eventually, <laughs> I just think the real estate thing changed. Like when I was a kid, downtown Cleveland was bare, so it was like it seems like it's so different now. And I haven't even been down to the whole new uh, area down to the arena, like watching the Cavs championship and people. That was like. Back then, there was nothing down there, dude. There was like a jewelry, there was like a pawn shop, there was like a gentleman's clothing store, and at night it was a ghost town. Yeah. So we used to go skate there because no one cared. The cops didn't even like we used to go skate in front of the terminal tower and like these places downtown because it was totally sure. everyone was in the flats. That's so my, if you weren't in the yeah. flats, you could do whatever you right. want. That's my idea of Cleveland as like somebody who just traveled through Cleveland and knew nothing about it besides for. The sports teams and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and stuff. Right. Like, anytime I was in downtown Cleveland, and being from where I'm from, I'm used to like a level of like things you can get anything you want all the time. Right. That's like the nice part of like growing up in the tri state area. Right. Like, you want a sandwich you want in the morning, you want cigarettes, you want booze. Like, there's usually a way to find it. Right. And I remember thinking the first time in Cleveland, like, I was like looking for dinner at like six o'clock and the venue is somewhere downtown as like the second all these office buildings closed. It seemed like the entire downtown was just like bare. It's exactly what it was. And and I think I think the one good thing, like going back to Peabody's, is that for some reason it it became known as a good stop for bands. Mm. So I, I think that's how they ended up getting like, you know. Like once Peabody's was on the map as the place, like all right, you're doing Detroit, you're doing Pittsburgh, you're doing like it just yeah. somehow got on the map, and that's why everybody played Cleveland, and then like all the New York band, and I mean I'm talking like you know big rock bands and stuff, but then it it happened the same way with the hardcore band. How did you sort of get into hardcore, kind of growing up in Cleveland? Um, I guess it started, you know, I I got into, I mean, as a kid, I was just like, you know, regular. Midwest kid playing like every sport and like, you know, doing whatever you do, playing little league and soccer and hockey. And, and then eventually as I got older, I got into, um, you know, snowboarding, skating, BMX. First I raced BMX. Then that was just, you had to go a long way. You had to drive out pretty far, like to go to the tracks and it became kind of expensive. Then someone had a half pipe and then, you know, riding on the half pipe on a, on a BMX bike, when you crash a couple times, you really fuck yourself up 
So the skaters would just like jump off their board and slide down on their rector knee pads. And I was like, wow, that looks like a better way to, to go. And then I got into skating. And I think just through that, got into, I mean, I was always into music, but I think I just got into different types of, you know, to me, the first punk thing was like Adam and the Ants. And I also had an older sister. So she okay. introduced me to all that stuff. And um, it, maybe even like I went to, my mom is from Northern England. So as a kid, I remember going to meet, you know, going to see my family in England and my cousin was a mod. So that actually probably was the, what got me into that, you know, just into that side of things. Like she, I mean, she had the full on, like her boyfriend had a Vespa, you know, she wore an uh-huh. army jacket with like, she turned, I, I didn't know who the jam was. You know, she turned me onto the specials, the jam public image and like all that stuff. And then I just got progressively more into like uh, the sex pistols. I came back from England one time. My sister bought Tears for Fears cassette. Um, is it songs from the big chair, chair oh, yeah. or whatever the one with shout on it mm-hmm. and I bought GBH City Baby Attack by Rats and a subhuman 7 inch so I think that was the start of it and that was like 84 85 or something like and then, that. you used to go there a lot because you had you had family and yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. so you I mean we had talked earlier like I came up like yeah like later 90s like exposed to like yeah Integrity One Life Crew all these bands or maybe like a little after you but we had heard Jonah's down with One Life Crew by the way <laughs> that's amazing yeah are Which... there a lot of people down with them <laughs> no I don't think so Jonah's <laughs> not in, like, a lot pretty... of people that talk about it I guess <laughs> it's pretty I, when he told listen. me I was not only and this is no insult to you Jonah yeah because I've known you a pretty long time now and you have a wonderful disposition. You're you're somebody I love to be around. But I know the music you're into. I know the books you're into. I know your general deal state of, of <laughs> right, being. Right. And I was shocked. Literally, I, I thought mean, you it's... were fucking with me when you told me I was not only down with One Life Crew, I played in a band with these guys. Because you have like a certain level of tough guy cred as a result. That and my physique. Well, that's, <laughs> that's where you tricked me. The physique, yeah, the physique is I mean, what you first. Yeah, that's what you first noticed. First feel. noticeable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will say, like, I wrote, I've written a lot about it, and like, uh-huh. I wrote a lot up for Vice and Noisy. Like, they were just the dudes who, like, everyone has to kind of get you into hardcore, especially mm-hmm. then. Like, yeah, there yeah. wasn't internet. It's like I met these guys, and like, I was like, I like the music. Like, it was yeah. heavy, and like, they exposed me to integrity. I was wearing this shop, but this was, I guess, a little after. Yeah, that was once I kind of left but um, but i remember hearing like dude you won't believe it judge and bold played the fantasy in 91 like project x is played here like all these shows were so legendary to me because right. i wasn't no i mean you were at all this stuff yeah 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 definitely i mean for me the legendary shows were and i think the way you're seeing like a, a band kind of brought you into it there was a band um called civilian terrorists which is still one of my favorite bands okay uh another band from cleveland called false hope who probably is my favorite cleveland band um and they were just people that i met you know at a young age you know 14 15 and was like oh cool these bands are like from here and like i went to see civilian terrorists and like they had they had a demo tape and to me they were like the shit like, oh, oh yeah. my god like i know these songs like that was when i first got into it um when you started to take ownership of yeah them. and it was like these guys are from here and i remember i think it was suicidal tendencies on the first first album they played the uh it was either the variety or the fantasy and I was just like, I remember like looking at the suicidal record, like uh, being at my friend's house and listening to it. And we made, I think it's on the insert of the record. Like there's pictures of people like with suicidal like shirts. So you basically took like a white button down and like a black Sharpie and you made like a suicidal skull and the upside down ST. Right. So we made shirts like for the show. That's I might awesome. even had like a bandana, like a red yeah. bandana hanging from my pocket. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I had my Doc Martens and, like, you know, my skin-tight, like, Levi's and went to the show, and it scared the shit out of me. Right. It was, like, the first time I saw, like, and I, I, you know, at the time, I probably weighed 80 pounds. Like, I was just, like, in civilian terrorists, like, opened the show for them, and I, you know, I was up front singing for them. Like, I'm representing, these are my boys, and, like, that, yeah, that was the beginning of, you know, and that was shit. I don't know, when did that record come out? Like, 85, 84, 85. Um, and then I went to see, at a Knights of Columbus Hall, this is actually maybe more legendary than those shows, Right behind the McDonald's on Mayfield Road, Mayfield and Green. Okay. Literally, yeah. I think it's a nice like, Columbus I, Hall. It was agnostic front, wow. <laughs> negative approach. Ooh, might have been Life's Blood, some other hard-ass New York band. And same thing. That was around the same time. Like, I just heard about it or I saw a flyer. And it was like, somebody, we got to get to the show. And, and I remember seeing, like, Vinny Stigma and Roger and just being like, oh, my God. Like, I was scared. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So it kind of had that cool, like, this is so crazy and cool and it's scary oh yeah like look at this maniac Vinny stigma like he's a nut and those I, dudes were like proper gangsters <laughs> like like they were just terrifying individuals i got my first guitar yeah. over there mayfield music yeah and that totally. got closed for being like a drug front or something <laughs> yes. crazy yep and I then was in, i was in there all the time yeah me too i uh, always wonder because from afar and again i'm closer to jonah's age so the era of punk and hardcore you came up in predates me as well i knew it of legend right and actually get to live through it but right when i was coming up there was this big thing between cleveland and new york right big beef between like the one life crew dwid integrity guys and a bunch of the tough uh new york guys right. and to the point where when i was like 14 or something uh integrity had a show booked in philly and new york and I was like, had my rides together. I was like, good to go, like going to see Integrity. And it got canceled. Apparently, you know, the rumor was out that it got canceled because Dwid couldn't come to Philly and New York because these guys were going to fucking kill him. And like, it's true. It is. So, <laughs> so well, that's where, interesting. So, that's why I think it's so interesting about you because I don't know a lot of people like Cleveland and New York ties. Yeah, that's where I, yeah. you know, I'm, I was. I like, was adopted. I knew about <laughs> I knew about Outface and some of the bands, but I didn't know you had such a. It seems like you were able to bridge the gap a little because you were from Cleveland, but clearly were so close with Walter and guys like that right. that you had this attachment to the New York thing where you were clearly welcomed by New York, not right. resisted. Right. So what was going on? And I also wasn't in One Life Crew or Integrity. Yeah, so. that's, right. That probably helped. So I, what was going on? In I mean, those I th days? I like, think. You know, like I was talking I was, about Toby Morris's wife, like Moon, and like yeah, her you know, dating someone in Cleveland, and and like I mean, yeah, just, she was from Chicago. I mean, I don't, I don't know all those. You know, I'm sure there's diff, different, you know, intricate stories. I, I mean, want the dirt. You want the dirt. I want, I want the dirt. I now it, that it's long enough away I, from it, that yeah, I feel yeah. like we can just openly talk dirt. Um, yeah, I mean, like I was telling Jonah, like Dwid, you know, Dwid lived in my house. I to this day, like I'm, I'm cool with Dwid. He actually sent me. I wanted to see them at a. This is hardcore in uh, Philly a couple weeks ago, but I couldn't make that night. Um, and I, I told someone to say, what's up to him? He sent me this really cool message on Facebook. You know, like I just I haven't seen the dude in 20 something years. <clears throat> Same thing with all those guys. But I, I mean, I remember back then, I think it just came down to, you know, I don't know if it was for shock value or what. They just like to talk shit, man. And there's just certain people that don't. It's not like a game. Um. So, you know, certain people in New York, you know, and there was, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's certain <laughs> things. There's people that were involved with people in Cleveland. Bear uh, in mind, this is yeah. a safe space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and bear in mind that 
the idea that like super old Cleveland, New York hardcore dudes are going to listen to this as much as we would want them to. Everyone right now is like, what are they talking about? Yeah, and why yeah, are they yeah, talking about this? Care. is the worst podcast ever. And you guys are like, come on, tell me, oh, tell me. Because well, well, I mean, to the point where one of my favorite bands couldn't come to New York. Like yeah. that was pretty severe. Yeah, like, I mean, you know? I think you know. It, it basically, you know, it it stems back to you know basically Isaac and like in DMS. So it's just right. basically there was a beef, you know, into the and I, you know, I don't exactly know how it started, but basically, you know, they had beef with Dwid and they just straight up, you know, were just like, you come here, yeah, yeah. you come here, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what wid did to start it and like right. i like i told john like i've never seen one life crew i've heard stories i've heard you well, know. was he like well, when you were growing up was he like uh, he seemed you, i read something somewhere that you said he used to have like a duffel bag of baseball bats he, yeah for so like he yeah he basically he, he got into this phase where he just he yeah he lived in my house and you know basically come about um, I think because at, at one point my and where par- was this what neighborhood in cleveland heights okay not far from coventry <laughs> Right down the street from the Cleveland Heights Public Library. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, basically, they, uh, my dad, you know, we had a house and my, my parents had gotten separated and my mom and my sister were like, all right, we're out of here. So we had this full, you know, family four-bedroom house. And um, oh Frank, who played in Outface and actually went on to play in Filter, the bass player, he moved in. And then Dwid was living in Mentor. And there was a whole other scene of um, two of the guys from Confront were from Mentor and then the other guys were from Cleveland Heights. So we, I mean, we were all like, we were the crew, like we became like this. So when the bands, you know, backtracking, when it was all, all friendly, when the bands from New York would come, we were, we were the guys like that, you know, help put on shows, help promote it. We and were just the kinda, local hardcore Right. Kids. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we can kind of control the shows and, you know, what went on. And, um, yes, yeah, so somehow that led to Dwid wanting to live near Coventry. And like, I think he actually worked at Coventry Pizza or someplace like that and ended up like renting a room in my house. And that was the beginning. At first he started Die Hard. Which was like very judge inspired. I mean, it oh, sounded like I didn't know he was in that band. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, Die Hard was the first kind of phase of of integrity. Because I think Chubb Fresh was in that. Yeah, too. Yep, Chubby was in it. So he he started Die Hard instead of the hammers. He had two baseball bats. Was the was the thing? Right. Cleveland Straight Edge. You know, he has a Judge Hammer tattoo. Right. Um, I, I'm I'm assuming he still does. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that was that was kind of the beginning of it. And then I think they just, I, and I think like a lot of people just kind of took the initial you know judge kind of hardline thing like a little bit too far and he just you know in a way he's a very smart guy but he also just took it like to a, a level of like violence and yeah. that, and that's where that's where it kind of fell off for me because i was just like i'm just you know just not that kind of person well, that's like in he was all a that stuff about character yeah well judge i mean like i watched that judge documentary the one vice did mm-hmm. and i thought it was really interesting but i also feel like dwid like brought in all this weird, like, satanic yeah. and, like, the devil mm. stuff. Like, that element didn't seem like it was ever really in that kind of music, the hardcore, at least, yeah. before he kind of came in. Yeah, That's yeah. true. I mean, he originally, you know, he originally, like all of us, like, we all love Youth of Today. We all right. judge, like, you know, right. Earl Biscuit's my favorite band. Like, he just, you know, initially, he had the little Harry Krishna cut. He had a he had a, a Gita. You know, he would read the, you know, Krishna Bible. And, like, you know, he had beads on and all that stuff, like a lot of kids did. And then, yeah. you know, he had plastered x's on his hand i think he, he's just an extreme guy i think where he found himself was when everybody got into like hr giger and like shit like that that's when he started to take it like to another level and where initially where i thought die hard and even confront were kind of just being like 
redoing Youth of Today and and Judge, I think Integrity was the one band that I kind of realized later because as they were getting bigger and bigger, was, that's when I came to New York. Mm. Um, and as he was getting more and more evil, but yeah, he was, he was crazy, man. Like he would, that's not a joke. Like he would literally go down to Coventry. He would have a duffel bag on, like on his shoulder with baseball bats. And I mean, he was, he was, he was taking it to the level of like, if someone's like fucked up or this or that, we go to parties. You know, I saw him hit a dude in the face with a skateboard, like some ill shit. There was man. like a famous story about someone like cutting the mic cord at Peabody's and him chasing them down with a gun or something. I don't Remember? think I was there for that yeah. one. <laughs> but yeah, there's, yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a more violent time. I guess. How, <laughs> so yeah. What kind of brought you to New York? Uh, well, initially, yeah. So going back to that, you know, like we are basically, we were like the crew and like okay. Confront would play, you know, with Youth of the Day or whatever. Outface would play shows. So we played with Judge. We played with Gorilla Biscuits, like in Buffalo, New York, Syracuse, places like that. So that whole region, you know, anything that was within like a few hour drive just became like part of the part of the scene. And you got tight with Walter. Yeah, I got, and that, I got, right? I got, I mean, when those guys would come through, it was like, you know, half the time they're in a busted up van that would barely make it. You know, they would stay at my house. So then we just became friends. And then initially, um, yeah, after after like playing shows and stuff, when Walter started Quicksand, he called me up and was like, hey, man, I'm putting out this new band on Revelation. Would you play guitar in it? And I came to New York and I was like, cool. And he was living with Siv and Alex Brown. And then, um, you know, I just became, just started coming here and then eventually didn't go back. <laughs> and I think that's when you, like when Jonah got into it, I think, you know, like I said, like I've never seen One Life Crew. Um, and I think I remember seeing stuff that Integrity got bigger and bigger and but bigger. But I feel like I could kind of caught the tail end of Integrity to like the original kind right. of Integrity. Right. Yeah. I mean, he had, they just, he just seemed to have like, he just seemed to have beef with, you know, I don't even know what the whole thing was with, with Victory Records. Well, you know, like was, I just never, I just yeah. didn't really have the time to, it, it's so not wrong. being around it. I just yeah. didn't really, like I would just hear stuff and then I just knew that. You know, I you know it literally came down to, um, you know, Isaac having beef with Dwid, and I don't even know about you it's, know Chubby or any of those other well, guys. Well, but it was enough. I mean, that's pretty, it was so that's much. A guy yeah, you gotta take yeah. There was an incident in Europe where basically Dwid it wasn't good for Dwid. Gotcha. Was that I the mean, thing with the uh, with the fire hydrant? <laughs> I he, heard another rumor about Dwid. Dwid had to eat a fire hydrant or something. No, nah, I mean he he basically just got beat down and. Uh, in Europe by somebody. <laughs> I because I felt like when I was coming up, it was so funny. Never safe place. I lived in, I lived in the <laughs> no, culture of no, no, hardcore no. for me. There was like just so much shit talking, like all the bands. Like I was used to just like a band getting on stage and just shit talking, but there wasn't a lot. Dude, of, that's because I left, man. Yeah. I was. I was. I'm, let me tell you, I was you the, were the glue. I was the peacekeeper. Yeah, like I, I did this kind of like ongoing. I don't even know how. There's like three parts to it with Double Cross because those guys are friends of mine, and that you know like. Like I talked about it in there, like I just, I think just through skating and stuff like that. And like, obviously like, you know, that I got into like all this positive, you know, like bad brains and, right, like, right, right. Day and like unity and like right. all those kind of bands. And like, I was friends with these like kind of dirtbag dude, these dirtbag guys that like Dwid and them like hated because they were drunks, but these dudes are like the best skaters. So I became friends with them. And then one of the guys' cousin was, well, in that band, Civilian Terrorist, and they were from the other side of town. But it's, yeah, dude, it's totally like, you know, a different version of, like, Grease, like, jocks yeah, and, you know, yeah. preps. Like, it's like, they were, like, the straight-edge guys that were, like, if you're drunk, you're at the show, and you bump into me, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Right. And basically, that's what Dwid would do. And then he got his, 
people kind of bought into that. I never bought into that because on one, I was straight edge. I never, ever put an X on my hand. I just didn't feel like I needed to put a label on it. I was just who right. I was. Right. But I was also friends with like, there was an older band, Starvation Army, that was pretty legendary. This band called the Pink Holes, which are an awesome kind of rock glam band. Um, I, I just became friends with all those people and just never really divided lines or, you know, between it. And I think after I left is when it, well, the, actually the, going back to it. So the funny thing is, so Dwid, he, he fought a bunch of these guys and they literally were called the GGs because okay. they worship GG Allen. So <laughs> okay. anybody in Cleveland from that time, and these guys were what the old skater punks. Yeah. Like? They, I mean, and they, they, I mean, they weren't all like older, but they were right. just, they were from the West side of Cleveland. We are from the East side. Yeah. But West they had Lakewood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Detroit road. Like, yeah. so they, they would show up, they would show up to shows like everybody be at Peabody's. Um, then eventually I think some of them were in bands and stuff like that, but you know, they were the guys that had, you know, Gigi Allen's and they, they did like gross shit. Like they'd break bottles on their heads and like they were, they were punk. Like they were just, to me, it was just entertaining. So I guess it, after Dwid, like, you know, fighting with them and stuff like that. And then he kind of went into his own thing where, you know, he was definitely smoking stuff and he wasn't basically, he wasn't straight edge anymore. Right. And then all of a sudden he became buddies with them and then he kind of became one of them. Uh, so we'd be sitting at Coventry and he'd be like, watch this, I'm going to piss myself. <laughs> and I was just like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude. So I don't know, that's when you, you know, and I think that's when he brought the darker side into it. But then yeah. like all of a sudden, all those dudes were like his boys. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up living like on the on the west side. Do you feel and like... And that's when integrity, I, I I don't know, I think I think he was always trying to, to find himself. Like, yeah. And, and I gotta say though, that first integrity record, Those Who Fear Tomorrow, I listened to that the other day. I was like, this is one of my favorite records. It's ever. heavy. It's, it's really so heavy. fucking good. And it borders like and, and that's I think with the Melnicks, like I think Aaron, you know, being like a metalhead, like I mean, to me, Slayer's like one of my favorite all time bands. So once I started hearing that element into it, I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. And I think and I think it was cool because they went beyond where Judge brought like a metal kind of edge to it, like heavy riffs. Integrity brought like fucking satan yeah. yeah and like those crazy leads and just like and a lot of it actually is chris who who was in false hope like some really? of the stuff like some of those riffs were very like i know his riffs like when i hear it and, and if you looked into false hope too like that's a band that i never heard of them they should have been you know they were playing with you know celtic frost the accused gbh like they were opening for all these bands they were basically like the main Kind of, you know, they opened for Bad Brains and Leeway. You know, they they played with uh, Faith No More, Voivod. They were probably the big. They got to a point where they were the biggest Cleveland band. And the cool thing too is we, you know, once Outface got going and Integrity got bigger, like we would do our own shows. Like we would play Peabody's and it'd be sold out. You know, and these were just local, the local bands. That's awesome. So that's how it just kind of became a thing. And do you feel so, like uh, like after all these years, like I've noticed just as an example like the first singer i had in one of my bands we were like eighth grade freshman in high school xing up vegan way into it really outspoken and then like by the end of high school smoking pot lacrosse <laughs> player dave matthews band oh whole no deal birkenstocks i think for like ah. a while and then three years after that i mean i did play hacky set three years <laughs> after that was like super jacked and was like working door at bars in new brunswick <laughs> and like stuff like that and and just and i really like the guy that being said but he had i watched him go it's a safe through. place he was an extremist like right. you said with dwid he was somebody who like when he got into something got into something right. and necessarily if they believed it or not 
wore it, you know, as, right. as a badge of honor. You seem to be somebody who, through all the years, managed to, like, maintain themselves. Like, like I'm into this, and that's probably still the reason you're into what you're into. But do you think, like, that element was something that existed in somebody like Dwid? Somebody who just, like, got into something so hardcore, got excited. Right. And then, like, it just led to other things because they were trying to, like... Like maybe you had a firmer sense of your own identity and some right. people are searching through theirs. Do you yeah, think def- that's like an element of it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, in a, in a good way, I think it was good. You know, he got into, you know, Youth of Today and Judge and, you know, all those bands and, uh, you know, wanted to be super straight edge and wanted to be, you know, yeah, I think I think he found his place. And then I, I think when he, you know, I mean, he was Dwid, you know, I think I think when he, eventually when people started kind of like like literally following him and being like yeah man yeah we're with dwid you know like he 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 felt that i mean the dude kind of like was like a cult leader like he he had that persona and he he had that ability when he i think when he realized he had that ability for people to follow him whether whatever way it was dark or not he kind of embraced that like you know, he's an intelligent guy, and know? he had such an affinity for Charles Manson. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, no, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, he went from yeah, he literally went from like, you know, being like into like Krishna consciousness and reading about that into literally being obsessed with like Gein and like mass murderers and right. shit and like getting into you know getting a HR Giger you know tattoo of What's like he do- drowning babies like on his hair. was like, he doing the side warfare stuff when you were with him like he had all the just noise he had stuff? just started doing um he had just started doing dark empire okay so and he also too he's like very entrepreneurial you know like he started yeah. off like he's like all right i'm gonna do records i'm gonna do this the artwork like everything i mean we used to spend hours in kinko's like making flyers for shows like we'd literally cut and paste flyers go down to, and he, all of a sudden he knew how to do all this stuff and i'm like dude like you have artistic like talent like you like he was doing like laying shit out and like you know blood book and all that stuff yeah yeah yeah. so i mean and i think like i said like i i think i left right as he was kind of hitting yeah definitely i left when integrity was starting to peak and um you know i knew james from ringworm when he was just used to hang out and he's like i have a band called ringworm i'm like cool (laughs) you know the you know face value is another cleveland band tony erba who's fucking hilarious guy um and, and and he'll tell you too. I mean he he's a very like you know he'll tell you the the, the way it is with a lot of these people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's, so you moved to New York to play in Quicksand or sort of what happened from there? Yeah, I mean so I came to do. Um, How old are you at this point? Like, uh, I guess this is like early nineties. Okay. So at the time we were still doing um, we we're still doing Outface and okay. um, and I I to- yeah I toured with Quicksand and then um, I went back to Cleveland and then we. Were, Outface actually, the one thing we released, it was through uh, Revelation. It was called Crisis Records, and it was going to be Walter's kind of imprint label. So he was doing all the bands, and he he's like, all right, you know, we're going to go to Don Fury's and record this record, and I'll produce it. Revel put it out, and um, we did one tour of Europe. Like we were supposed to be around that record, and of course Jordan like didn't get them the records in time. The record totally wasn't out. <laughs> we're playing like squats in Germany and Italy. It was fun. Uh, but um, yeah, and then I came back and then I was just like, after spending time in New York and being like around here, I was just like, I couldn't really go back to Cleveland. I still wanted to make it happen without facing it. I just felt like we were also kind of going different directions. Um, but I, and in the meantime, Quicksand got signed to uh, Polydor. 
and that was going to be you know the slip album so then walter called me up you know once again this is on a landline telephone <laughs> no cell phone no texting uh and he's like hey you know we're gonna go on tour like you know do you want to come on tour with us and like you know be my roadie i'll get paid and i was just like yeah like i'll get paid to hang out and like you know tune guitar so at that point i wasn't in the band and he he had started initially when i toured he just sang he didn't play guitar uh-huh. so it was me tom um alan and, and sergio and um so i was basically just like their roadie like guitar tech and just started traveling went to europe with them and all around and then after that just ended up like staying in new york just like i can't after doing this i'm not going back to if uh, you bailed on outface earlier could you have been in quicksand i don't know Good question. Maybe. What, what, what was it like? I think things happen for a reason. Though. Sure. <laughs> what was it like kind of touring with Quicksand, like Slip Air? I mean, people, like looking back, that is such an iconic, legendary record. I mean, were you like, oh, this is like a cool thing Walter's doing? Or were you like, this is something really special? Yeah. Did it feel special at the time? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, I, I just think the whole 90s was a weird, not weird, but I don't know. It was just an interesting, interesting time. Like you're saying, like, you know, for me, the 80s is when I got into it. So I got into it like 10 years before that. And it was whatever, the bigger band, Suicidal, Black Flag, the one band I never saw, Minor Threat, you know, Wish. I, mi- I missed that one. Um, and I-, I think that whole kind of like, also like coming to New York, it seemed like there was a time where like everybody was trying to be kind of metal. Mm-hmm. And it was like, the you know, Megaforce Records and all that stuff. And then, like the leeway thing. Yeah. Right? And, you know, you even saw like the Cro-Mags video and it was like, oh, man, sure. like, you know, and they're playing with Motorhead and these bands and like Anthrax. Yeah. Right. And I think Biohazard. a lot of bands. Yeah. Crumb Suckers right. um, was the one with John Connolly. Nuclear Assault. Nuclear like, Assault. All yeah. that kind of stuff. I, I think a lot of the bands were like, like, oh, well, maybe we'll be more like metal sounding. Well, there was kind of a tie in right at that yeah. time with like Anthrax and Pusshead and like. Yeah, things that kind of tied hardcore and metal together. Yeah, right? I mean, I think if you look back, especially in New York, you know, like even like Sick of It All and some of the bands, like it just looked like it was becoming kind of like more of a metal thing. And then there was um, In Effect Records, and I know they were trying to sign Gorilla Biscuits. I don't, I don't know how that ever fell apart. Um, but I, I, I think like when basically when Walter told me he's like, "Yo, check this out," and we were getting into like Danzig, and I had turned him on to like. Alice in Chains and more like just kind of heavier, um, you know, Soundgarden and stuff like that. Um, I think he just came up with an interesting kind of mesh of like Fugazi meets a little heavier, noisier thing. And his style, you know, of kind of like yelling, singing, which, you know, was in the beginning, that's kind of more what it was like. So you think there is like an element? I I always wondered that, too, because as a huge fan of that, like, post-hardcore stuff, you know, that came out at that time, Quicksand being one of, like, the seminal bands of right. that of that whole movement, there was always, like, I never understood how the organization of that music went from what it was happening to that. You know, how, like, yeah, you had your leeway, you know, who played blazing fast, metal stuff, like right. riffs, then you had Chromags who were, like, fast, but you can't have a song without a breakdown. Like, right. You gotta have the fucking breakdown. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's like quicksand, there's these bands. Like mid tempo. Mid tempo. The groove. guitars yeah. are almost like one giant breakdown. I'm like, what's happening? They never get fast. And he's not singing, but he's not screaming. And and I never put that together that like really early Alice in Chains or like Soundgarden or some of that West Coast stuff. Right. 
might have played yeah, an influence. It's all influence. because of Charlie. <laughs> Basically. Basically. I can tell you, we listened to a lot of Danzig when I came to stay yeah. with, uh, with Walter and Sid. But those bands, like, like in the early 90s, before, like, the big grunge stuff and the West Coast thing kind of blew up. Right. Were those bands kind of like, like, a lot of the old hardcore guys were, not old at the time, I'm sorry. You're just old now. Charlie. Yeah, yeah. We all are. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... Like people were listening to that stuff. And I think, that, yeah, I think so. And that came into play. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was. Huh. I mean, I was, you know, I was always, you know, kind of a rock. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, you are who you are, bro. Yeah. I mean, I was a huge, you know, from That's the beginning of hip hop. That's why you never mixed <laughs> up because, you, you know, you got your thing going on. I think, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think, well, I think it's just Walter just having that sense of like that musicality and that groove mm. sense where he could pull stuff in i mean that first quicksand tour they literally had like the three or four songs that were on the rev seven inch and that was it right he's like all right so now we need some other songs we sat in his kitchen in queens and like literally wrote three or four songs and like one was like all right it's gonna be like that danzig song you know like the riffs and like if you look back to some of those early videos it's like half the time he's like making up like the lyrics on stage like right then and there like freestyling so um but it was weird because then once when then when I you know when I came back and when I heard when he played me stuff from Slip I was just like wow yeah like, like you're saying like there's something and it was kind of that time of Helmet it was kind of that right. time of um like that whole Am Rep like Chicago scene like Unsane like right. a little bit more of that noisy thing and I think I definitely a lot of it came from you know Fugazi too like Fugazi would have mm-hmm. that you know that loud Right. like that dynamic of like having real peaks chaos. and valleys yeah and then you know yeah. ian's doesn't have a he's not a singer he's ian you know it's like right. it's that voice and then like you add in like like i don't know they to me that that band was like hmm. dynamic wise i think i think quicksand took a lot of that dynamic and and made it its own thing and kind of in a more hardcore right new york way definitely almost i mean that sparseness right and the yeah. guitar too that like you weren't used to yeah. We, it it might have did it. I feel like it kind of, and you're both guitar players. Like, I feel like that era in the late 80s was an era of guitar overplaying. Yes. You know, and that maybe like Helmet and Quicksand, like the rhythms and the guitars are maybe a reaction to that. Like, right. You think? Yeah. Like, I mean, early, yeah. I mean, early, in hardcore, you know, suicidal, you know, or whatever. I mean, that's Black Flag. That's all just like as fast as you can go yeah. at some yeah. points and just ripping. Right. ripping through it and maybe there's like well suicidal had sick leads but like right. i can never do that though so i just like yeah i can't do that <laughs> i freestyle on, on the leads yeah what i mean i can't wait one more minute to talk fuck i fucked this up how did Civ come it. about i mean because obviously you're touring with quicksand was right. walter just i mean obviously because Civ was basically yeah, at the time, Siv was... He came was, out of Gorilla Biscuits? Yeah, they they basically just kind of... It was weird. Like, there was a moment, yeah, like, where they were going to sign a big deal. And then, like, you know, I guess Walter could tell you better what, what exactly happened with that. And they were just like, all right, we're done with that. And they played a couple, like, kind of benefit shows, like this Amnesty International thing or that big show at the Ritz in New York. Mm-hmm. I was here for for a couple of those. And um, one of them, we actually brought Gorilla Biscuits amps on the subway from, no Long, Island, from Long Island City, Queens. <laughs> Two Marshall cabinets. I <laughs> had to bring them to Webster Hall or to oh, the Ritz. Geez. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. On the train. Wow. I've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah, that's some DIY shit right there. <laughs> sure is. But, um, yeah, and at the time, I, I guess they, you know, Siv got heavily into, like, his tattooing and stuff and was just, like, in his own world. And 
somehow Walter figured out a way to like pull him back into it because he didn't want to do. I think he figured Gorilla Biscuits had run its course or done what you know he wanted it to do, you know, artistically. And he was just like, hey, you know, I have this idea to bring Siv back into it. And at the time, we were living together and touring together. And he's just like, this is the idea. And we're like, cool. And then he's like, let's see if Sammy will get into it and if we could get Arthur to do it. And and basically, and I think a lot of it had to do with, and now at that point, we're talking mid-90s and like, you know, everybody trying to be harder than each other. And, mm. you know, dudes in basketball jerseys like doing like, you know karate moves like fighting invisible people and like just like all this kind of real like tough guy heavy and maybe a lot of it had to do with like integrity or your boys one life crew but everything kind of got into this you know there were yeah there there (laughs) were bands there were bands that were that that were definitely kind of pulling into the quicksand thing right and then there were bands that were doing like cool like snapcase and bands that were originally hardcore bands but started to get into that little bit more i don't know if it's experimental but you know how you would classify it and then there were other bands that were just like you know right because set your goals is very, like a pop record sort. I mean, well, that was, like, that was, was the yeah. and the initial idea it was, so was like, totally. yeah, it was like, all right, like let's kind of throw it back to a very you know kind of jam, um, you know English almost sounding, dancey thing. Walter was into like Daisy Chainsaw and like all these cool like he was turning me on to all these British bands, you know that I that I hadn't heard of and um, and even so like like the Clash, but also it still had to have. It still had to bridge the the gap of Gorilla Biscuits, right? So I don't know if any of those riffs came from because Walter's definitely a guy that's got nine million riffs and tapes of them like somewhere mm-hmm. and like albums that no one's ever going to hear because he's such a genius. But uh, uh. you know, I, I don't know. Initially, it was that kind of idea, and it was weird. It was almost like um, at the time we were saying, he was almost like a kind of a Malcolm McLaren, like with the Sex Pistols. Uh. You know, it was very like that, like in a way contrived in the fact that it was like there was an idea you know what i mean so it was sure. cool that it was like it's like a concept it, from yeah, the yeah exactly there yeah. was a concept and now the, now then the next question was will civ buy into it right and then the whole thing was like all right well we're just gonna call it civ you know civ and we're gonna rip off the ssd logo huh. and civ was like there's no fucking way your name and like my the band's not gonna be my name and we're like dude like it's like when morrissey you know, left the Smiths and he just came out as Morrissey. Like anyone that was a Smiths fan knew what it was. Right. So that was kind of like, at some point, I guess he agreed to it because to this day he hates the fact that it yeah. it's named after him. It's probably pretty genius though in reality. Well, the cool, it? I mean, literally it was one of those things that like, kind of like what Dwid did. Like, I think there were integrity shirts, but there was, it wasn't even a band yet. And it might've been the same thing with Die Hard. Like he was just like making logos and like, you know, we'd go play a show in Buffalo and he would just, I, he would sell shirts like Cleveland Straight Edge, like Integrity, and yeah. I don't think the band was even had even played a show. And you know, and the idea even with Civ, it was kind of like, all right, you know, like let's kind of throw it back to this like old school logo, you know, that very kind of like youth crew, you know, collegiate lettering, and then um, you know the idea of what the music would be like, super positive and catchy, you know, yeah. and, and even for me, like as a musician, it was definitely kind of like going back backwards a little bit sure. from what I. Because even with Outface, you know, when we first started off, we wanted to be Dag Nasty. Right. We wanted to be a DC band. You know, I was listening to all that, like Embrace, Rights of Spring, um, Minor Threat, Bad Brains. And then we eventually started to sound a little bit more like Verbal Assault or Bad Brains. And then the last stuff that we recorded was like, after playing in Quicksand, it was like Drop D. It was heavy, like really groovy stuff. So even for me 
to do the Civ stuff at that point, it was like going back to just, you know, bar chord, you know, punk box, you know, kind of, kind of stuff. Um, but I think, I think Walter being the driving force and the creative, you know, person behind it, it, it had like a, I don't know. He put. He. I don't know. He. He hadn't. He had a, an idea. Yeah. I mean, how do you look back on the second Civ record? Because that one, I was under the impression that he wasn't involved with the second one, mm-hmm. and it definitely s- sounds different. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the process like for that one? I mean, do you remember kind of what the writing was like? Yeah, I think. I think we. You know, for us, and like we, you know, after t- like we were a touring band, and like we just we. It seemed like we didn't stop. You know, like we. As soon as I don't even know if Set Your Goals was done yet. I don't even know if it was out yet, but we, you know, we went to Europe. We're sick of it all. Sick of it all took us, and we basically took H two O. So right. we took H two O on our bus, and um, I think that tour was like seven and a half weeks. Wow. Like we went everywhere, and that was good because it kind of taught. And even on that tour, like we played, I would say we played at least four Gorilla Biscuit songs. I remember doing like New Direction Start Today. Oh really? Yeah, and it was also just to kind of pull kids into it and be sure. like, all right, this is you know this isn't Gorilla Biscuits, but this is the new thing. How long had it been at that point since Gorilla Biscuits had been in those places? Oh, a long time, like decade. No, well, I think they were there in the early '90s, so this okay. was like '95. Gotcha. Um, but long it, enough where like Gorilla Biscuits fans would have been yeah, fucking yeah. stoked you were there. Yeah, playing and, new and like I said, like I'm pretty sure this. I don't think Set Your Goals was even out yet, so it was just kind of like right. You yeah, because like I told someone about Civ and like, yeah, I saw them. They just played like Gorilla Biscuit songs, like on their first tour or something. We played a few, but we, yeah. I mean, we de- no, we've definitely played Civ songs. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, uh, yeah, I think I think you know, and then we did the first ever Warp tour, and then that exposed us to like all the West Coast bands, all these bands that I had heard about in Europe, and I'm like, who the hell is this? And like, I go see. You know, people are like, I'm in Europe and someone's like, oh, yes, you know, this is Pennywise. I'm like, I thought this is bad religion. They're like, no, Pennywise. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We play with Pennywise in California, and I'm like, holy shit, people are going fucking sure. ape shit. And this band is huge. Like, we played, you know, Red Rocks in, in, in Colorado, and people are going insane. And I'm like, wow, like, these dudes, they sound like, like a West Coast punk band, and they're huge. No effects. I couldn't believe that was the same band, because they were around, like, in the early 80s. Um, so that, that kind of turned us on a thing. And, we, you know, we toured with all these different bands and just kind of, I think... It just opened us up like a little bit musically. And then I think, you know, Walter had started doing the second, you know, quicksand record. And we, I don't know, we just decided like, hey, why don't we just kind of write it and we'll, and see where and see where it takes us. And, you know, we had done a tour with No Doubt. They took us on like a, you know. Really? Yeah, we did like three weeks that. with them. Like yeah. at the time they were like, you know, Don't Speak was like the number one song in the country. And we, it was it was the Vandals. Uh, the Vandals opened up the show. Oh my god! I mean, what a freak show! Yeah, the Vandals, <laughs> Civ, and No Doubt, and it was just like you know we had started writing stuff, and you know, in all honesty, it probably didn't put it didn't put us in the hardcore world. You know, we're playing arenas and like amphitheaters, so we're like, you know, playing stuff that's a little bit stretched out, not as fast, right. you know, not as many breakdowns and was stuff. Was there like a part that. of like the fact that you know the early '90s brought like money into punk for like right. the first time in a long time? Yeah, the fact that people were watching the offspring and green day and bands like that actually make like dough right was that like was there anything in the mind of doing yeah, Civ yeah that's like and, if and we do something poppier we could actually like i think in all honesty like you know when you're on a record label and you're kind of caught up in that world you know sure. we were on atlantic records and that's what they were 
sing. They you want know. hits. Yeah. yeah, and also, you know, the first record, you know, Mike Gitter was the ba- guy who signed the band, and he's just an old school Boston hardcore dude that, like, he brought Bad Religion there. Oh, okay. I think he brought Jawbox there. He brought uh-huh. that stuff in, you know, in the 90s. He was long gone by the time right. the As second goes, record came yeah, along, yeah. and it was like, yeah, there was definitely, like, all right, what do you guys, yeah, like, that was yeah. the that was the world of single. Like, what's a single? Yeah. What do you guys got, you know? We need radio. We need yeah, radio. we need radio. And, you, and you're playing, like, half the shows you're playing are radio shows, and you're playing right. with, like, Bush and these bands, and it's just, like, you're definitely, yeah, you're not playing in, like, you know, the basement show, like, somewhere, like, it, it, it changes, like, your mindset. And after doing that for a couple of years, it was kind of like, all right, let's, like, what do we got? Like, we're into the jam, and we're into these kind of, like, this more open sound you know, admittedly, I think we went a little overboard, <laughs> you know, they, and then the, the, you know, our manager and the label, you know, Walter was, you know, he was involved in doing like the second quicksand record. And we, I don't know, I, I, I don't, in hindsight, I, we definitely should have used him <laughs> to kind of corral us and like whether or not he was doing the writing or, or anything, but I think he would have been a good, um, you know, focus I, I, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Cause the, the focus was, you know, it, it went a few different directions and I feel like, you know, between our management, you know, we had a big like rock and roll manager and like the people at the label. I think it just became like, yeah, there was, you know, they, they used a big producer, this guy, Steve Thompson, who worked on, you know, worked with Guns N' Roses and he had done like the, the butthole surfers, you know, big single, a um, couple other things that he was like a total rocker dude. Like, yeah. So I think it became, he's like, yeah, hey, you know, he's like, I'm buddies with Paul Schaefer. We can use, you know, you guys want to use one of his organs? So we ended up using a Vox organ from paul schaefer like just like crazy shit i think we just just to use paul schaefer's organ well i mean no but there were parts where we wanted you know and i think yeah like you know i I don't know i I guess and that was like now you're talking like 1998 so we had like you know toured for years and years and just like i don't know i think we wanted to be more more musical but maybe that wasn't the way I, i definitely wasn't looking at it from the from the aspect of the kids that were maybe know the hardcore kids are like fans of well i remember first i wasn't into it but i also was only into stuff that sounded like hardcore like i think i like it more now listening back i'm much more open-minded but sometimes when you get you're like this is what i like and it can become kind of narrow yeah no definitely and i think and it's funny because other bands you know other bands that we're on tour with like rocket from the crypt and stuff like that the new record's great you know like totally yeah like we're playing on the warp tour with bad religion and brian baker who's like one of my idols from you know minor threat and dag nasties they're like dude these songs are great like you got got an organ like this is so cool like and I, i think from like just playing like bigger shows and with different different styles of music and like different bands just kind of opened us up to wanting to be more musical and like I said, like I think we went a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit overboard. Well, when all those what? things start coming into play, I mean, it, it can really metal, metal yeah. the the focus. Like, yeah, there definitely, I mean, there definitely, definitely wasn't too you know, many cooks a, in the kitchen. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a true focus. I mean, the one thing I can say, like, you know, for Siv, the guy, he loves it. You know, like you know, like writing the lyrics and stuff. Like, he had a lot more to do with it, and I know to him. It meant, you know, it's to this day, he loves he loves that record. Mm. How did you, I have like so much more stuff I want to try to get through, really. I mean, how did you end up playing with Judge? Because you, you, how long have you sort of played with those guys? Um, let me take a sip of my polar <laughs> seltzer real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, they basically, well, I found out about it, you know, initially, I think when, it, it all started when, um, when Gorilla Biscuits did the BMB at Webster Hall. Okay, that was how long? That was, that was 2011, maybe? Okay. 
and um, which was totally insane. And I guess he had reached out to to Mike Judge, and you know, I mean, if you saw the Judge documentary, like literally, like no one from like especially New York or this side of the, you know, had seen him like forever. Had you known Mike back in the day? I knew him. I mean, I just knew him from you know from then. Uh, I'll I'll tell you what he said when he when he first saw me, but. Um, you know, he was like, he stayed at my house, you know, like those guys stayed at my house. Like like one of my house was definitely one of the crash pads for the neat, for bands that were touring. Um, but I, you know, I didn't really know him that well. I, I definitely knew like Sam and Siv and Walter and Purcell and those guys better, um, the youth of today. And, um, I guess, I guess Siv reached out to Mike and was like, Hey man, you know, like playing the show at the old rich, you know, Webster Hall and you should come check it out. And a lot of people been asking about you and what the hell you've been doing. And I, you know, to what De- I don't know. He I mean, he had been talking to Mike and uh, invited him to the show, and um, I saw Mike like and his wife like sitting there. I'm like like everyone else. Like it's kind of like you know seeing Sasquatch or something. <laughs> oh my god! Like it's a Mike Judge sighting. Like holy shit! Like he's alive. He's here. That's right. him. Was this before he was doing like Mike Judge and Old Smoke? Oh, this is way out. No, he way did. Later. The, yeah, he way did, later. Yeah, yeah, way later. I mean, he did that right after. I mean, he did that a few years after. Judge broke up. And then he right. kind of just dropped off, sort of, right? Yeah, so he he had done that, and it was a very, like, kind of folky, you, yeah. know, you know, he's a huge Neil Young fan. My and first then, band randomly recorded at the same studio that he did Old Smoke, this, right. like, random studio in North Jersey that, I guess... Yeah, and I guess I guess they played a couple shows and were yeah. playing, like, bars and stuff. Like, there's videos of it. But, it, yeah, at that point, I just remember hearing, like, oh, yeah, he's got this total, like, Neil Young band, and He's a biker dude in Jersey. And yeah, I heard it was a truck driver. Yeah. We heard all this stuff. Yeah. yeah so he, uh, so now he's like at this huge show, you know, with all these hardcore people and like all these, you know, kind of hardcore legends in New York. And um, I saw him and I was just like, you know, there are people around and I was like, I'm not going to go up to him. Like there's already people bothering him. Right. And he's, I know he's like a quiet dude or whatever. Right. So like you see in the documentary, like, you know, Gorilla Biscuits ends up doing New York crew and people go fucking ape shit. So I think that was the one thing that Mike was like, kind of lit a little spark. Like, wow, like th- these are my boys. Like, where have I, you know, like I missed all this stuff, and like mm. here now I'm watching Gorilla Biscuits play to like, you know, two thousand something people, and everyone's going crazy singing along to New York Crew, and um, that was basically the start of it. And then Siv being tight with the guys that do BNB and everything. I guess you know, like ev- like every other, there's a lot of bands that they've been talking about possibly, you know, if he could get you know, this band back together to do it. And I think that <clears throat> that started the wheels in motion and, you know, Siv talking to Mike and being, you know, and Mike, you know, for the first time ever being kind of like somewhat open to it. Like, well, I don't know. How do you think, you know? And I guess he kind of, like we call him coach actually, that's Siv's nickname. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of was like, you know, he was totally instrumental in getting Mike and, you know, and I wasn't sure about the status of Mike and Purcell's relationship at that point. And like, they hadn't talked like, I don't, you know, in years. And, um, it was funny. Like Mike told me later, he's like, yeah, hey, he's like one day, he's like, my wife is like, Oh, you know, I love this band or this song. Can't wait a minute more. And Mike was like, Holy shit. That's Siv's band. Like, and Sammy's in that band. Like he was just kind of like, you know, going back, he was thinking of like, or seeing stuff with quicksand, like, Oh, like these guys, like I've kind of missed like, cause we were all friends and people getting married and people yeah, having kids yeah. and, he was definitely like off, like, you know, um, in the swamps of Jersey, like the boss, you know, <laughs> sure but was. he, uh, he, um, 
and I guess eventually they, you know, someone talked him into it or he talked himself into doing it and they started rehearsing and they wanted to do the last, you know, kind of touring lineup of the band. And once I found out, I'm like, that's going to be, I think Siv went to do some festival in Europe and we were driving and, you know, for hours in Germany or something or in Belgium and we were talking about it and Siv was just kind of giving us the update and, you know, they finally started rehearsing for the, or they announced that they were going to do it. Okay. So they announced like Judge is going to play this year at BNB and everybody lost their minds and like it's sold out like in an hour or something wow. insane. Like, and then they were like, you know, I guess the guys at BNB are like, wow, like maybe we could do two nights, you know, because there's other bands we could throw on. Um, they ended up getting Kill Your Idols who hadn't played like in, in, yeah. in a long time and making it like a killer second night. So now like the pressure was on like those dudes like, all right, now we're playing like two packed out nights at Webster Hall and um they started rehearsing and i guess it just wasn't really happening and so lars who was the other rhythm guitar player who i'm friends with i haven't seen him since this whole thing with this so now this is 2013 um i mean i just know that he hadn't been in a band in forever and ever and yeah. ever and i i would assume he probably hadn't played guitar or had a reason to for a long time i know his brother's a DJ. I think he, you know, he, I think he was just like in a different world, you know, yeah. like DJing Got and just, other shit. yeah, totally. Um, him and Sammy and I used to play basketball in the gym with a bunch of guys in the village. And, you know, I was, I'm, I was always friends with them and cool with him and think he's a great guy. And I just started, they just started getting concerned where like he just wasn't up to snuff, you know, playing these songs. And, and the thing with judge is like, and especially that's the thing too. Like we've all realized now, like when you play like, you know, big shows or festivals and stuff like that, like, you actually have to play and like, right, you, have, right. you have to play you have to play good like when you're playing someone's you know garage in detroit you know or like something like on some shitty equipment and everyone's just knocking the shit you over can just overpower the yeah crowd. yeah whenever matter, you know yeah. and people are knocking over mics and, sh and stuff in the beginning it was like yeah. like everybody was gonna like mike hadn't uh, sang like he his voice better be there like he can't blow his voice out the second song like the first time drums started getting mic'd and um, i'm hearing him back yeah, through yeah. a speaker and i'm like fuck like i gotta learn how to tune <laughs> these motherfuckers like or else i'm like i can't just beat the crap I'm out of them and, right hitting, like, hitting them them harder i saw uh it was funny i saw shelter play at a festival in sweden like two years ago and i see him on a lineup and they're playing like 2 30 in the afternoon i'm like shelter holy shit so i roll up and it's like 50 really young Swedish kids. Right. Some of which know like message of the Bhagavad. Right. Like some, some newer shelter. And then there's me literally going ape shit. Right. And it's like giant field to old shelter song. Right. And, you know, and I am noticing while they're playing, like the music sounds good, but Ray's like struggling a little out of right. a couple points. And even in the middle of the set, he admits, he's like, listen guys, he's like, when we wrote these songs, the way I sounded meant nothing. He's like, it was about what I was saying right. and the way I was saying it. Right. But the actual delivery of melody and, and this stuff, he's like, wasn't really thinking about it. So he's like, and this is what it is now. We're at a festival. So try to have fun. He almost like was just like, yo, like this is the way right. we made music then. And it's just not really conducive to a giant open air yeah, festival in yeah, Sweden. Definitely not. You know, and like, have you run into that problem like when you've you know going from outface to sit i can imagine civ played in some pretty wild rooms yeah yeah as you were going through it or what happened one of them one, one of them would be madison square garden 
Wow. Just, really? just, to drop, just to drop that. Did Sammy drop that one last week? No. What was we, that? We, we, we always joke about that. <laughs> Siv likes to pull that one out, that too. That must have been big for uh, you guys, We played right? with a band called Kiss at uh, Madison Square oh, Garden. Just a little. That's a little. Siv that, did? Yeah, that's a little bit crazy. Really? It's totally surreal. I think Sammy or Siv have a video of it somewhere in a vault that so cool. I would have to see it to actually... Do you remember the show? Well, yeah, yeah. It was totally surreal. Yeah, so they basically, in 96, when they put the makeup back on... Right. Um... They did Four Nights at the Garden, and we had... So Doc McGee was like the legendary rock manager. Scott McGee was our manager in New York, basically their New York office. So they managed Quicksand, Orange 9 Millimeter, Civ, Skid Row. <laughs> Let's go back to some other bands. Sure, sure. Motley Crue, uh, Bon Jovi at one point. So anyway, Doc was responsible for getting the, uh, the Kiss thing back together. And I guess and the cool thing was like at one point, those guys were like, even Sebastian Bach and... Um, and Gene Simmons were like, yeah, man, can't wait a minute more. Like, all right, great yeah. song. <laughs> so somehow, I think, like, it was weird. I think G- D-Generation actually opened one night. Yeah. Okay. 311, some other. like D-Generation did, because Jesse Mallon has told me right. this. <laughs> this is like, a show it was definitely, it was definitely like, let's just put these bands on, and it doesn't matter. Right. So, like, my, right. my, like going right. into it, I'm like, okay, there's no fucking way. Like, we're actually, this is happening. And they're like, yep, you guys are playing. We're on the Warp Tour. We flew in from, like, Toronto or something that day. I took the train up from my apartment where Walter and I live. I, I got on the train with my guitar and and took took the train up to the garden. And then I, where like, were yeah, you guys go, living at? Go, uh, we lived on um, right off of Bleecker Street, okay, like Sixth Avenue. And um, took the C train up to the garden. Get out. And they're like, go through this entrance. So the whole thing is very surreal. So anyway, you might be. I mean, there can't be many people who have played Madison Square Garden by bringing their own shit on the subway. Yeah, I mean, that's. Especially yeah, with cool. Kiss. Yeah. Not like yeah, and then the whole thing was cool. like when you got there, it was like super like union. Like you can't yeah. like, yeah, like you don't get, right. I, I don't even know if you get a line check. Like don't touch anything. Don't move. Don't yeah. do anything. And um, my whole thing, like our whole plan was like, all right, let's just try not to get booed. Like let's just get up there <laughs> and like, yeah, like rock it out a little bit and like, you know, and definitely like throw Can't We a Minute More like way up in the in the right, set list. Early on. And at the time they were playing at Rangers games, they were playing Can't We a Minute More. Oh, okay. Like I think when they would come out for the second period, like when they would hit the ice. So yeah, we were just basically just like giving praise to Kiss and being like, Yeah, we're from New York, like we're all happy to be here. Like, let's just get I think we had a half hour and Siv was just like, Yeah, we got some Rangers fans and like just tried to get that momentum going. So that like I, we didn't get hit with bottles or get booed or anything, and like it, it actually went over okay. There were a few friends that were there that were like, "Yeah, it was great. You guys are fine. Like, it's, it's nothing at all. It has nothing to do with Kiss, but you know, you made it through." You wore a Mark right. Messier jersey or something. I should have, but I had I had my Fred Perry and my and my creepers <laughs> at that point. That's amazing. But let's get back to the judge thing real yeah, quick. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could talk about Cleveland for five hours. Oh we could talk God. about New York for five hours. Uh, Can yeah, we so, just like hang out all the time? Yeah, we should just okay. hang out more. Um, so Jonah's just trying to get more tough Cleveland friends. Yeah, he just wants to add more of them. <laughs> we can go to the gym. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Really I've never cool. been, but I heard it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, th- so yeah. So basically, those guys started rehearsing, and you know, bottom line is, I guess it just wasn't really wasn't really happening with Lars. And I remember Sammy just mentioning, like, you know, and Sammy is living on the West Coast, so he was flying in to rehearse oh, for wow. these shows, and it, it kind of, I mean, it was like a month and a half, I think, before <laughs> these shows, and they were just kind of like, you know, we got to figure something out. And Sammy was just like, he called me up one day, and I could just tell you, he's just like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to ask you something. And I was just like, yeah. He's like, you know what I'm going to ask you? And he's yeah, like, you knew he's, like uh, he's like, 
He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, would you do it? I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me, man? Like, I mean, I'm like, hell yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, that that would be amazing. Did you already know a lot of the stuff? Like, yeah. yeah I mean, well, I knew already... it. I knew it in my head. Sure, I just yeah. had to. I mean, I know. I know all the songs. Yeah, I just had to sit song. down and like. So basically, he was like, he's like, all right, you know, we just had rehearsal and blah 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 blah. And um, later on that night, like, I guess Purcell Purcell texts Sam and was just like, hey, tell Charlie to come, you know, to Brooklyn tomorrow and bring his guitar. He's awesome. like, I just talked to Lars and blah, 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 and like, whatever. I guess he just said, like, listen, dude, it's not working. And from what I heard, Lars was like, I understand, you know, yeah. whatever. He got um, it. Yeah, I what think so. What was the show like? I mean, how did it feel? Because we're talking about seeing them in 91 at the fans in Cleveland. What's it like? like yeah, or seeing them at a pizza shop in Cleveland. a pizza shop in <laughs> yeah. Cleveland. That's like. another legendary show. All the hardcore kids love that one. Um, so I go into, I go into this, the the rehearsal studio and literally yeah like i didn't i just woke up the next day grabbed my guitar didn't even like i listened to some judge on the way there and i'm like i think i know some songs just you know right based on what i remember but i remember walking in and like standing outside the door and hearing it and like hearing mike and literally being like holy shit like this is fucking crazy like and it sounded heavy and i was just like so i waited for them to finish like two songs and then like i knock on the door and i come in and uh and everyone's like oh what's up what's up and then like i see mike and he's like oh yeah he's like now i remember this guy because i guess sammy was saying like, remember charlie like <laughs> blah, blah, blah. but he hadn't seen me in like 20 something years so he goes so then he comes over to me he's like yeah he's like what's up and he gives me a hug he's like he's like i remember he's like no he's like He's like, I'm just glad you you aren't you're not one of those integrity guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he yeah he was trying to like picture me, and, and I'm like, yeah. and then I showed him pictures. I'm like, dude, you stayed at my house. He's like, oh yeah, I remember that now. So then, um, whatever they're like, they're like, you have your guitar, like plug it in, like whatever. What do you know? And I was like, oh, I think I know a couple of songs, and we played like four or five songs, <laughs> and it was just like high fives all around, and they're like, dude, you ready? <laughs> I was just like. Yeah, man. Let's do it. That's yeah. awesome. I, we're almost done, but I wanted to ask you really quick. Um, yeah. You know, obviously to bring things like to today, like there was this big kind of controversy stuff with Civ at This Is Hardcore, and I, you've been posting a lot about it sort right. of on Facebook and stuff. I mean, what? A lot being one post. One post. That's a lot for me. It's a, I guess I'm not on Facebook that much. Yeah, I usually don't post on Facebook, <laughs> but I, I had to. For I mean, why for did you buddy. feel like what? Like what? I guess, like, why did you feel like you had to speak up, or what do you think kind of happened with that, or like, I just because I was confused about why it was even really a thing in the first place. I guess it didn't. It seemed. I think. Not yeah, a- I mean, I think the general the general consensus, or like, I mean, I think anyone that knows the band or knows the people would say, like, how is this literally, like, how is this even a thing? Right. right. So, like, if you're at the show, right? So somehow, someone, I don't know if it was a girl or someone. Basically, you know, someone said the singer Gorilla Biscuits just said all lives matter. I'm out of here. Okay. I understand if that was this, if that's exactly what happened, I can understand where a certain person would be offended. I understand what both, you know, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter mean to certain people. Sure. That's not what he said. And also in the context of, of what it was said, there's not re- I guess if you wanted to misconstrue it you could sure so I think I think just that and in, in, in the um, you know the environment that we're in today and 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 there's certain you know buzzwords and certain uh, things that just get people you know fired up you know for whatever their beliefs are you know in, in a certain situation you know he was basically I mean and anyone who knows a sieve is like 
pretty much almost every other word out of his mouth is fuck. Like he curses like crazy. Like right. when I'm around him with my kids, I'm just like, all right, go for it, dude. Like earmuffs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's totally, there's no like, you know, that's just who he is. Right. You know? And I, and I, he's basically introducing a song, an anti-racist song, you know, a unity song from years ago. And, you know, the, the, the way that he, the way that he said it, I, I guess there was a way that people could, take it to say but the problem is it then all of a sudden got you know misconstrued and he, you know he never actually said he never said all lives matter right so then you have you know then like vice put out somebody wrote a thing on vice and in the headline it says singer says something dumb all lives matter so now they're sh- they're putting that as the headline of the article which once again he never he never said those words the way that he said something you know and i don't even we've already gone over it like a million times right. um you know, obviously, the intent of what he was trying to say is in in this day and age. The night before, when when Youth of Today played, um, is actually a friend of ours had a shirt that said "Black Lives Matter," and he's you know stage diving and up front the whole time singing along. You know, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, those are like some of his favorite bands. This guy Balaram from uh, Texas, and um, you know, it's just like I think he was just recounting like you know the, the fact that today. That someone has to even wear that shirt. Like, where are we? Like, as as people, like, it's you know, it's a sad state that we're that that this has to be a thing because it definitely is, mm. you know. And it and it it was no way you know meant to take away from Black Lives Matter because I know if someone says All Lives Matter that it's taking away from right from, from what from what that is supposed to be. So I I think it just got like way blown out of proportion somehow. And it, and I think even for Siv and for people like us, it was kind of like a, as the older guys, like the fact that like someone could all of a sudden go online or tweet or post or what it, whatever it was, something, and then, you know, raise this whole thing about Gorilla Biscuits just made it, you know, to us, it was like, wow, like, this is kind of crazy. Like, obviously didn't, he didn't mean anything. And, and, and the fact that it was able to go to that level, like that quickly, right? like without, you know, you know. Like I said, like being totally taken like out of the context of the hardcore show at that moment, and obviously anyone that knows Siv or knows Gorilla Biscuits yeah. and knows that Arthur is actually an activist, you know, like totally. not a person who just talks about shit, but a pe- person who's marched and like yeah. done. I mean, it's just like you know, it, it's and I think in a way it's kind of scary that someone could just put something out there and like it is. and people will just like call into it. Totally, you know what I mean. Without and, like, any any like any idea of like the intention right. behind it, but right? it's That's also one of those things about. where I was as soon as I saw it, I was like, "This is a thing that is going to be a big deal for like two days, and then yeah. no one's going to ever talk about it again." Right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're in, right because it was the pe- buzzword. It yeah. was like the total thing buzzword. That someone tapped total into. buzzword. Like, I mean, and if there's anyone who deserves the benefit of the doubt. Yes, it's like a group of people who literally have like stood for like fought, Nazis fought Nazis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean that's why for me it was just like because at first like I was like you know I text Siv and I'm like dude like did you see this stuff he's like yeah whatever and it's like stupid and then like it kept going right right and then I could tell it was weighing on him sure you know because he's not can imagine yeah and 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 as a friend it was weighing on me because I was like what the? I'm like this is fucked up and anyone that knows them was just like I text Walter and he's like yeah he's like I, he's like I can't believe this like. You know, so I te- I text all those guys, and it was just kind of like I just felt for myself. Like, if you really th- like, well, I don't even remember what I posted. And like I said, number one, I don't get into debates on Facebook or social media. 
I live in a very social world. I talk to people. I'm a partner in a bar. I'm behind the bar. I, I talk if I want to talk politics. If I want to talk stuff, I actually really Interact talk to people. people. Yeah, yeah. I don't sit on a computer or on my phone and, and and have debates or conversations about shit like that. So I I just felt like and I wasn't looking for anyone. I wasn't gonna you know respond to anyone's you know critiques or whatever. I just felt like as one of my best friends, like I had to say something. Well, sure. Cause, cause, yeah, because it was just it was getting to me like this is you know and then. You know, the following weekend, um, Siv and Gorilla Biscuits and a bunch of other New York bands played this thing called Wrecking Ball in Atlanta. Right. And I think as soon as they, you know, played that song and he said a quick thing, you know, that was it. Thank <laughs> but I, I think, we, you know, obviously when we all got together, that's all that we talked about. And it was just like this, why is this consuming, like, you know, so much like energy? And if anything, like even Siv said, like, I think in a way, maybe it did good that it brought, you know, for people that wanted to talk about it, got to talk about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of people like had conversations that they probably wouldn't have had. Um, I know he didn't want to be the one to start the conversation and, and did not in any way, you know, think that it was something that was going to be like. But maybe it highlights in a way like, you know, because if somebody said that who didn't have the background Civ does right. and the background you guys do. They maybe could have pounced on it even farther, but it was one of those things that, like, once the sea of people are coming in support of Civ, to, like, the 16-year-old kids who are like, who the fuck's this old man saying right, all lives right. matter? <laughs> and then, like, this sea of people are like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is where it came from. This is this. This is that. This deserves the benefit of the doubt. You can understand. So maybe it's actually good that it came from someone with such a long history right. of being anti-racist. Right. Because if it came from somebody who was neither hot or cold either way, they could actually be like, no, he probably actually meant, that, <laughs> right. you know, and with Siv, it's kind <laughs> well, of there's definitely obvious. there's definitely bands that, yeah, sure, that sure. would actually say that with, with that, Siv once you do right, about, with, with with that intent, yeah, you know, once and, you do like five minutes of research on Siv, you're like, oh. Right. Okay. Clearly, this guy wasn't trying to say that. Yeah. And I and and, he, and listen, like we're we are the older guys. Like I I totally like if there's younger guys that say like, oh, that's you know that old that old youth crew unity thing doesn't work anymore, and you know in these times and this and that. Like if that it, that's fine. Like you can you know what I mean. Like I I definitely saw some stuff where like people are saying like, well, that old you know stuff like that. Like, but like I said, like the fact that he said something, I think still he's always going to say something. He he always mm. has. And and he always will. Like if 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 younger kids and you know the scene is different and what they're involved in, they feel like that that old unity message doesn't hold up to what's actually going on. It's like we know we know we're still living in this world, you know. Like we know right. what's, yeah. what's going on. I mean, you know, yeah. You guys weren't like floated off to sea on an iceberg, right? <laughs> you know, not yet. Yeah, not I yet. I know that. Wow, wow. Yeah, great. So I did, I should have been there. I could have asked some questions. Yeah. Charlie, I hope you're listening. Sorry I missed it. We'll get you back on, man. Charlie, and we, uh, Charlie invited us to go to his bar, so we should just go there. He said it's super mellow. Good idea. Yes. A, a mellow bar is something I enjoy because whenever you go into a bar now and it's just loud, it's like, I, I don't like it. Just, yeah, no, just, you got to be able to hear the, your dad jokes when you tell well, them. Well, that's what I was going to say. Continuing with the theme from earlier. <laughs> Has music at bars gotten louder or are we just older now and it's just more annoying? I feel like every time I go in a bar, I'm like sitting next to someone and just screaming in their face. Uh, I think like you're, you know, Brad, you've been around. Yeah, I think I, I, I do scene. think that it's both. I think 
I mean, also, like, you're not as old as I am, but, you know, the first thing that goes with your hearing is the is sort of the frequencies that our voice is at. You know, you get jumbled. You start to not be able to discern it as easily in a loud space. But being a musician who play, stands in front of an amplifier, you're going to have the same issues. Before you start getting tinnitus or anything, you will have a little bit of damage to that. See, I have I have tinnitus, but I don't really have hearing damage because I got my hearing checked. I would rather have hearing damage. Well, you also, didn't get damage after that hot water descended show. No, no, I just have tinnitus, but yeah, I don't. I can hear all the frequencies and stuff. Oh, that's good. Yeah. God. Well, also the sound is shittier in bars too. Well, that's what it felt like when I when I used to DJ at Idle Hands. Like it was like in a basement. And I felt like everything would reflect. So it was like, I felt like you almost had to shout at someone, even if there wasn't music yeah. playing. Like, just the way. They just, when people open bars, that's the last thing they think about is the acoustics. And it's, they're usually awful. And so to supplement the awful acoustics, they usually put in a shitty sound system that just distorts and sounds like total garbage. And you can't you hear should, You should start a consulting firm, Brad. Should, How to make Brad. your bar not sound like ass. No, because I did that before and nobody cared. They didn't want to spend the money. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, Johnny, we, we, we should start, how many times like, did like, I tell you to dampen the ceiling? <laughs> we, <laughs> Put in a subwoofer. <laughs> I, I often, I don't know a lot about, well, anything, but I know a bit. And whenever I go to someone's house and they have like the subwoofer like next to the TV, in front of like with all the other speakers i'm like you know that's supposed to go behind your couch i can i'll move it for you if well, you want <laughs> but you know what the cool thing about a subwoofer is you can actually put it just about anywhere it does really i thought yeah. it had to be behind you no 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 not at all the, well then fuck me <laughs> um it's just that you can put it there and it won't really make that much of a difference it really won't hmm. make a difference essentially because base waves are so large that you can't tell the direction they're coming from and that's why you can put a subwoofer anywhere I remember going to um, uh, that, that, you know, sad period of my life where I went to raves and I would watch kids crawl into speakers and just sit there. Yeah. <laughs> the bass heads, man. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. What they call them. And really? I would just watch them. They're just sitting there and just sitting there and sitting there. And I did. I crawled <laughs> in. I was like, Fuck I, don't, it. I don't understand what's happening. You didn't have an ecstasy pill in your tummy. That's why. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> anyway let me give my little technical tip of the of the week here brad she she brought it up. this is email a really brad here's email a real, brad your technical questions here's he a loves really, this shit really fun fact if you are setting up a little sound system in your dorm room and listening to this podcast here's how to figure out the best place to put your subwoofer you want to know what it is take your subwoofer hook it up turn it on play some music through it and then put your subwoofer where your head is going to be I'm not even kidding. If you got to put it on a chair or a stool, figure out where your head's going to be, like on the couch, put the subwoofer there at head height, and then move your actual head all around the room from the floor on up to the head level until you find the place that the bass is the loudest. And that place will be the best place to put your subwoofer. Hopefully it'll be on the floor somewhere. Hopefully it'll be in a corner somewhere. But that's actually the best way to figure out where to put your sub. Isn't that awesome? That is That's awesome. Amazing. Or drop out of college, and then you won't have to. You can buy a much nicer subwoofer because you won't be in debt for the next fifteen years. Yeah, and you can pay me to come hook up your sub. Exactly. Yes. 
All right. Um, if you don't want us to be in debt, uh, donate. Goingofftrack.com. You can donate a dollar, ten dollars, million dollars. Can we take million dollar donations? Uh, we got one, but I think Stephen has fucking <laughs> invested in <Yeah>. the market. <laughs> I, my house. We needed an addition. I get it. Um, if you don't have any extra money, that's okay. Uh, you can leave us a nice review on iTunes. You can tweet at us. Tell your friends about it. Um, I think we have a Facebook page and maybe Steven looks at. Uh, I, I try to update it weekly. And if I miss a week, then I update it twice. Nice. Yeah. I look at it and sometimes just see messages and they're usually to Steven. And they're like, Steven, hey, I sent you my demo. Or Steven, we met 12 years ago. Some guy did send us a demo. And oh, like, yeah, yes. Go after it. And I listened to it and I wrote him back and I was like, your band's actually pretty good. Oh, good. Thank you. Because yeah. I feel like an asshole. No, they they were. This band was really good. Um, and I'll mention them next time if I don't forget, which I probably will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll tell the whole story next episode. We'll tell next. Okay. Until then. Bye, listeners. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.